Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. stand for the reading of God's Word. We're turning to John chapter 14, and we'll read verses 16 through 20. This is the Word of the Lord. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So once again, we are back in the upper room. We'll be camped out in the upper room for a while. Uh, Back in the upper room where Jesus is with his men. And he is giving them... Uh, They're marching orders. He is building them up. He's trying to encourage them before he departs from them the next day and in the next months. Um, The concern of the disciples is, as you would imagine, it's uh, similar to the concern that we would have and perhaps you've had in certain circumstances where you lose a great leader and you wonder, what in the world do we do next? How in the world can we carry on? What are we going to do without the wisdom, the love, the confidence of the one who has led us up to this point and led us so well? Um, How are we to carry on? Who could possibly fill the Son of God's shoes. Who could possibly do that? And so, uh, but, but we get short-sighted, right? It's easy for us to forget that Elisha followed Elijah. You know, we forget that, that Joshua followed Moses, you know, and actually carried the people into the promised land. But there is no suitable replacement, right, for the Son of God. There's no suitable replacement, it would seem, for the Son of God. Well, the only fair exchange would be for Almighty God to be followed by Almighty God. Which, in fact, is what Jesus announces here to the apostles. You thought it was good? Just wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Now, we don't think that way very often, do we? Because we're, we're Reformed, we're Presbyterian. The work of the Spirit is always sort of an afterthought for us for some reason, right? We, we could make this, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, um, we could overemphasize it, right, and go the, the route of the, of the charismatics. 
But we do honestly have a tendency to discount or underrate or think of as an afterthought the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But you and I live in the era of the Holy Spirit. That's the era we live in. Jesus is to the right hand of the Father, located in time and space at the right hand of the Father. Whatever that means. But he's not here. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And so, um, this is what Jesus is announcing to the apostles. He essentially says, my successor is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, carries on the work at the departure of the Son of God. Not that, not that the Spirit hasn't always been at work, Right? He, like the Father and the Son, have been at work together always. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. What verse is that in your Bibles? The second one, right? Spirit was there at work in the work of creation. And and in fact, when one of the three-person works, they all work because they're all unified, right? They're one. And so there's, you know, it's the Spirit has always been at work. But there will now be this outpouring of the work of the Holy Spirit, such as has never been seen before. The work of the Holy Spirit is the focus of much of what Jesus will say here now in the next three chapters, and that makes sense that he would be saying, I'm going, here's what's next, and here's what's next is the Holy Spirit. In fact, not only does Jesus say the Holy Spirit will carry on the work, but that he will do better than Jesus. He says that. He says, my successor will do better. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He'll do what Jesus never did. Get this. He will do what Jesus could not do. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Right? Now the hair should, you know, be up on your neck. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And so in other words, get this, it is better for Christ to send his spirit than for Christ to be physically present with the apostles, better to have the power of the spirit than the physical presence of Christ. Power of God will be poured out by the pouring out of the Spirit upon all these men. And of course, I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I drew your attention to the fact that the preaching of the apostles was, in fact, what led to more disciples than the preaching of Jesus. Doesn't mean the preaching of Jesus failed. Jesus came and condemned people by their lack of response to his preaching, but... The apostles, the response to their preaching was faith in Jesus Christ. That power was due to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the fulfillment of the promises made in in, um, 
the chapters, the chapter 16 that I just read. So what do we learn about in these few verses that we looked at? What do we learn about the Holy Spirit in these verses? And really, I, I just think because we are Reformed Christians, we, we have to settle here. And the next two chapters give us that on the work of the Holy Spirit. And we really need to be thankful in our hearts that, that Jesus, who is a man, is seated to the right hand and the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit and we live in that era, okay? We should be thankful for that. We should also learn about it and praise God for it. So what do we learn about the Holy Spirit? First, Jesus asked the Father for the Spirit to come to the apostles. Did you notice that? He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And again, if you look down in verse 26, we read, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And so it seems that the Father alone sends the Spirit, but that's not the full picture. We're going to take a tiny bit of a dive into some church history here, right? Seems that the Father alone sends the Spirit. That's not the full picture. In verse 7 of chapter 16, if you just go over a few chapters, for example, Jesus said, but if I go, I will send him. I will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. And in Romans 8, 9, in 1 Peter 1, 11, in Galatians uh, 4, 6, the Spirit, is actually called the Spirit of Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of His Son. Did you know that this theological truth, that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, that, it, that He proceeds from both the Father and the Son, led to the division between the East and the Western churches way back in 1054. 1054, the great schism it's called, was over that issue. Does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father alone, or does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son? And, and you know, we're, we're TikTokified moderns, and we think, boy, that's, you know, splitting hairs. What's at stake in that? Well, the Eastern churches believe still to this day that the Spirit only proceeds from the Father. The churches in the West, including the Reformed Protestant tradition, teach that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. That is why in the Nicene Creed that we confess, we say, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. That phrase there, filioque was added at the Council of Toledo in 589 A.D., okay, way before the schism. Right? They determined that that was important. That Council of Toledo, 589, it's, it's what's known as the Filioque Clause or the Filioque Controversy. Who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Now, what is so important about this? Well, it's very complicated. <clears throat> I'm not sure I fully understand all that is at the root of this. 
But one of the effects of the view of the Greek church to deny the Spirit proceeds from the Son is it has led to a kind of piety where the Son and the Spirit are two separate roads to the Father. So you can kind of go Jesus or you can go Spirit. And, and Bavink says this, he says, the Son and the Spirit are more or less independent of each other. They both open their own way to the Father. Thus, orthodoxy and, and mysticism, the intellect and the will, exist dualistically side by side, a hallmark of Greek piety. And so it's like Greek piety is a choose-your-own-adventure book. Right? Some go with Jesus and the intellect, the mind. And some go with the spirit and mysticism and the the unknown. And, And that is to make a hard and fast distinction between the two, between the Son and the Spirit, that is unwarranted by Scripture. Right? In other words, as I understand it, the tendency of Greek Orthodox churches is to emphasize the threeness of the persons, while the Western church, like ours, tend to emphasize the unity of the Godhead, the oneness. And we can do that to a fault. Right? I think, I think a lot of evangelical feminism has led to that fault. But the... But because of the weight of being on threeness in the Greek Orthodox view to the diminishment of the oneness, there tends to be uh, subordination in their Trinitarian doctrine, meaning that they tend to posit a difference in essence between the Father, Son, and Spirit. So the verses we will look at in these chapters in John are particularly important in steering clear of Trinitarian errors. Just the fact that it says, I'll ask the Father and He will send them and I will send Him. That very simple thing in Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is sent by both and proceeds from both. So that's the first thing. Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. This is not to say there are no distinctions in the Godhead. That would be to put our weight on oneness and diminish the threeness. The Father is unbegotten, the Son is begotten, and the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. And that formulation comes from the pages of Scripture and is historic orthodoxy, okay? So enough on that. Uh, You can study that for the rest of your life, if you would like. There is a lot of ink spilled on those topics. Start with some summary books first, but then you have to read Augustine, you have to go to the Cappadocian Fathers... I mean, there's a lot that you, to get up to speed in the Trinitarian debates, there is a lot of study to be done, but it's glorious study because you're actually studying the God who poured his love into your heart by his spirit. And so it's not dry and uh, crusty. It's really actually wonderful. Um, Augustine's on the Trinity is is wonderful. Um, I, I tried to read it. I tried. Second, we learn that the Holy Spirit is a helper. Interestingly, did you notice that the Holy Spirit is called another helper? Another helper. Um, 
which means that Jesus, too, was a helper to these apostles. He taught the truth. He showed them the way. He lived and died for their souls. He helped them finally by, by sending then another helper, the Holy Spirit. And this helper is, a, is another helper of the same kind. If Jesus was God with us, the Holy Spirit will be God with us as well. But there's a difference. There's a difference. The apostles would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I mean, think of that. Not only is the Holy Spirit God with us, the Holy Spirit is God within us. God within us. As it says in verse 17, you will know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, I'm sure they didn't even hear that. Because if they had, their minds would be boggling. They'd be asking questions. They'd be like, what in the world? I, I can't. What does this mean, right? Jesus came and lived with them. The Spirit comes and lives within them. Everywhere these apostles would go, they would take with them the indwelling Holy Spirit all along the road. If Jesus' departure had been followed by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, had not been followed by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on these men, they indeed would have had to live like orphans. They would have had an abandoned father, right? Their father would have abandoned them. They would have had to carry on without the presence of God. They would have gone from the comfort of dwelling with God to being cast out into the world without any help, without any assistance, without any helper at all. But what do we see later in this gospel? After his resurrection... Jesus appears to his men, John 20, 21 to 22, and we read this. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent to me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. By his breath, they received the holy breath the Holy Spirit. And so there at that moment, God is not only with them, but God is within them. That means that what Jesus had been to them is what the Holy Spirit would be to them, right? He would comfort them. He would be their source of truth when they had questions. He would teach them. He would encourage them when they faced trials and temptations. He would show them the way. He would work in them and through them. He would supply them with the words to speak when they had no idea what they were to say. That's what the Holy Spirit would do. The prophecy of Ezekiel is breaking into the hearts and minds of these men when Jesus breathes on them. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And the Apostle Paul is comforted by the same knowledge that he is not an orphan either because of the Holy Spirit within. He writes to the Romans, he says, we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, 
hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit with the apostles and within the apostles and within all faithful believers through all times that explains the faith and the zeal and the perseverance and the peace and the glory of their lives, right? It is undoubtedly true that if Jesus were in our presence, we would deny his miracles and if we did not, you know, we would deny his miracles if we did not have our eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. There is no life where the Spirit does not make alive. And the Apostle Paul writes, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, than an heir through God. The Spirit's present in us is infinitely important. Without the Spirit within, there is no life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. New birth, the indwelling spirit, God within us is the only way to truly perceive spiritual realities and they're the only way to perceive things as they really are. Now third, note note this, that Jesus tells the men that the spirit would be with them forever, verse 16. Spirit's going to be with them forever. They will not come to a point in the future where the spirit would tell them what Jesus has been telling them, that he he must go away. That's not going to come. They would continue on in the power of the Holy Spirit unto the end of their days, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And that's what they're doing. They're continuing in that Spirit, that Spirit that will not be taken away. And so it is even to this day that the Spirit continues to work and has not left Christ's bride without strength and life and voice. That spirit still convicts concerning righteousness and judgment. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church and the gospel has not ceased to be shouted in the darkness of this world. Why? Because the spirit has been and will continue his sanctifying work while Jesus is absent physically, yet reigning at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit still blows about where he pleases, raising the dead to life, opening the eyes of the blind, right, unstopping the ears of the deaf. Truly, we, we can say, That because of the Holy Spirit's presence with us, God has not left us or forsaken us just as he promised. Fourth, the Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. This means that truth is only known by the mind of man when the Spirit works. The Spirit owns truth. The Spirit is truth, right? 
Before the Spirit works in us, what, what, what is there in your mind? There is darkness, there is ignorance. After the Spirit works in us, there is then light and understanding. What is understood? Does the Spirit just give us a new memory and new thoughts directly from Him? Certainly that is possible, but there is a more sort of organic way the Spirit reveals truth to us, and that is by working in and with the Word of God. Working in and with the Word of God. Okay? The Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and truth, you know, is the Word of God. When Jesus prayed at the end of his long discourse to the frightened apostles, right, in uh, John 17, a few chapters ahead, um, he prayed this for the apostles, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. It would be the spirits that would illumine the apostles' minds and give them an understanding of the word of God. That is the way that God works by his spirit of truth. His work in our hard hearts yields minds and hearts that are able to understand the eternal truth of God's Word. When we read it with the Holy Spirit's illumination, our hearts burn within us, don't they? When you read the Word of God, your hearts burn. When, when you, with that illumination, when you read the Word of God, your anxieties fade, our ignorance is replaced with with knowledge, our doubt is destroyed by faith. Our, our ability to self-examine becomes honest and not delusional. Our delight is amplified by all of the, the glorious prom- consolations that God gives to us in His Word. We find that peace that surpasses understanding. The work of the Spirit in illumining the minds of God's sons is the topic of the second chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So often we go back there, don't we? This spells out the fact that the natural man, by definition the man who does not have the regeneration of the Spirit of God in him, rejects the Word of God because it can only be understood by those who have the Spirit of truth. Here's what the Apostle Paul preaches. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. In demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, right, on Paul's eloquence, but on the power of God. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, none of them. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard 
and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed all of those glorious things through what? The Spirit. Not through your study. Not through your experience. Not through your intellect. Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So you see that glorious illumination, the the enlightenment that comes by the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is a lack of understanding of spiritual things. With the Holy Spirit, there's an understanding of spiritual things. Oh, and it, it does not mean that you have all of Scripture down and there are no hard passages. It does not mean that. But it certainly does mean that Scripture is at work in you. That there is desire to know God's will. That there is a hunger at the core of your being to study the one who made you. If the Spirit is at work in you, you will have, as Ryle puts it, inward feelings of conviction, repentance, faith, hope, fear, and love especially as you come to the Word of God. You will rifle through the Word of God searching for comfort and for relief and for conviction and for repentance and for hope and for sustenance. You'll you'll knock continually on the door of the Word, right? And the Spirit, it will be the Spirit who will open that door for you. It will not be your intellect, It will be the Spirit working on your mind and your heart that will open that door to you. Now, are we thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are we thankful? Are we just simply thankful that that power is at work in us? There would be no faith. There would be no worship. There would be no remembrance of Christ. There would be no understanding of the word. There would be no church. There would be no future. There would be no hope in this world without the Spirit's glorious work in the heart of man until the end of the ages when Christ ends this separation he's had from man and we proclaim his greatness as we bask in this light that emanates from him. 
the Holy Spirit is working now, powerfully revealing to you Jesus Christ, and then He will come and we will bask in His light. And until that glory is revealed, whatever light there is in this world is due to the work of the Holy Spirit. The sent one, the helper, the other helper, he who lives in God's Son, the Spirit of truth, that that is who is carrying on the name of Christ in this world. Let's pray. Our Father, we do bless your holy name for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We give you praise that the Spirit is at work renovating our hearts. That we are being conformed to the image of your Son. We thank you, Father, that, that we can know true truth, that we can know the truth because of the Spirit's work in our hearts. And so, Father, the, the, the world may clamor after everything mechanistic to give an explanation for, for understanding, and yet they understand nothing spiritually because these things are spiritually appraised. And yet, we who are just uneducated are able to understand the will of Almighty God because of the Spirit within us. Oh God, we pray that we would not grieve the Spirit. Pray that the Spirit would, would complete that work in us that He has begun. And we would rejoice. And so we, we do love you, Spirit. We thank you for abiding within us and guiding us on to the end of our days and beyond. Oh Lord, we bless your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.